Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Patrick Wilson is an associate professor of exercise science and directs the Human Performance Laboratory at Old Dominion University. He earned a PhD in exercise physiology from the University of Minnesota and completed postdoctoral trainings in sports nutrition at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Wilson has authored over 45 scientific articles that span the discipline of exercise, science, sports nutrition, and health. He's the author of the recently released book, The Athlete's Gut, The Inside Science of Digestion, Nutrition, and Stomach Distress. Wilson is also a credentialed registered dietitian. So, Patrick, tell us, why the gut? We feel like we should call you the gut guy. What got you interested in the gut? It's sort of a, a long, winding history there. You know, when I was in graduate school, and trying to figure out what to do for my PhD project, I ended up kind of honing in on a topic uh, related to what's called multiple transportable carbohydrates. And that's, you know, essentially just ingesting different sugar types to maximize absorption and carbohydrate burning during prolonged exercise. And one of the measures of this, that study that I did in the lab uh, had to do with basically just gut symptoms, you know, how much nausea, how much bloating, fullness, cramping were the uh, runners experiencing when they were on the treadmill ingesting these different sports beverages that I was giving them. From there, you know, I, I kind of started doing some other projects, mostly related to nutrition, where I would ask about, you know, gut problems and issues. And eventually, I just started to uh, get a sense that it is really an important issue that affects so many athletes, so many runners, so many um, individuals, and how they feel and how they perform, that it started to make up more and more of my sort of research time um, that I devote uh, my resources to. You know, a couple years ago, I, I kind of decided I want to write a book. I initially thought maybe something with sport nutrition, heavily focused, but figured out pretty quickly that there are a lot of sports nutrition books already. Many of them are very good. So I didn't know that I'd be adding a whole lot of new stuff to the equation. And I kind of settled on focusing specifically on the gut because there aren't any, at least at that time, there weren't any books exclusively devoted to that issue that affects so many athletes. So that's kind of a little bit of the backstory in terms of how I arrived at writing the book, The Athlete's Gut. Uh, but it's something that my interest has been evolving uh, over the last, you know, five to 10 years uh, with just the research that I've been doing uh, as, a, as a student first and then now as a faculty member. 
Well, I mean, I I can tell you in my clinical practice when I work with athletes, that's probably um, 50% of the reason they come to see me is they're having some difficulties with tolerating certain sports products or um, taking in recovery nutrition. Or on the flip side, we see them starting to cut out food groups um, or particular foods because they're having GI issues. And so then they end up kind of malnourished or, you know, in um, energy imbalance. And it all goes back to optimizing the gut health. So I'm excited to have this resource that, you know, can refer them to. Yeah, it's an underappreciated organ in, in many ways. Uh, you know, I think that's changing a lot now. And there's more and more health practitioners and sports dietitians who are really appreciating the importance of the gut. Uh, but, you know, you kind of think in athletics, the primary focus is with training and making people stronger and fitter, you know, lowering their body fat or improving um, the quality of their diet so that they can run harder. And uh, But if, if you don't have a functioning gut, it makes it pretty hard to do all that other stuff. So it's one of the foundational things that, you know, you can't take for granted because otherwise it can have some uh, pretty negative impacts on your health and performance if it really gets out of whack. Right. Um, especially in those more endurance, like a lot of the triathletes that I work with, like that, that's one of the main culprits that throws them out of the race mm-hmm. is like all of a sudden they're curled up in a, a ball. So can you share with our listeners the breakdown of your book so they can kind of get an idea of the vast um, topics you cover in relation to gut health? De- uh, definitely. So at first, when I was deciding that I wanted to write a book on the gut, I was worried I might not be able to get kind of a full book out of it, but I soon realized that I almost had the opposite problem, that uh, I needed to find a way to fit everything in because there was so much information to cover. But it's basically in three parts. Okay, the first part is a uh, anatomical and physiological overview of the gastrointestinal system. Now, that may sound pretty dry and boring, but I try and make it pretty interesting and humorous where, uh, where possible. Uh, and then another part of that Uh, first section of the book, I go through the specific types of issues that athletes oftentimes encounter. So starting with things like nausea, regurgitation, reflux, heartburn, bloating, cramping, constipation, loose stools, uh, bloody stool, side stitching, basically any problem you can think of that impacts athletes. I try and explain why do those things happen? How common are they? and then provide some suggestions about how you may be able to go about uh, preventing or managing some of those specific issues. I think it's really important to remember that uh, these issues can be very different between athletes. Okay, Nausea and, and um, loose stools and bloating are not the same symptom, mm-hmm. meaning they may have different solutions. Mm. Okay, so that's the first part of the book. The second part of the book is all nutrition. So we go through energy concepts, carbohydrate, fat, protein, fluid, sodium, and training the gut as well as uh, dietary supplements. So trying to uh, give a real thorough overview of how all those different aspects of the diet can impact uh, the gut in athletes and then uh, during exercise. And then the final part, you know, I'm not a trained psychologist, but I uh, thought it was really important to devote a good amount of the book's attention to kind of the psychological aspects of gut dysfunction, because there is a really tight connection mm-hmm. between your uh, brain uh, and your guts and even the what we call 
uh, the second brain of the body, which is the uh, kind of internal nervous system that's housed within your gut. So I go through kind of the connections uh, between your gut and your central nervous system and why being stressed and anxious can kind of throw your gut into uh, a state of disarray. And then provide some uh, suggestions and talk about the research with respect to how you might manage some of those stress-related and anxiety-related gut issues. And then the last couple of sections are just appendices, and those cover uh, gastrointestinal disorders and conditions, and then medications that are used to treat gut issues or that may cut uh, may cause gut issues themselves. So that's a uh, you know five-minute overview there of the book. It's you know, roughly a few hundred pages and I think over 700 references. So it is very heavily science-based, but I try and make it as entertaining as possible mm-hmm. to read for a book that is, is you know, based heavily in science. I definitely needed this book 25 years ago. Yeah, no kidding. I was a ball Whoa, of a, a mess back then and trying <laughs> to figure it out. I didn't have those resources. So Patrick, do you think, I mean, gut health has been a topic of, um, you know, a topic we're seeing more, but do you think we're seeing more gut dysfunction athletes or are we just more aware of it now? I think there's is probably mostly just an intention thing. You know, when you try and see if there are studies that compare uh, like gut disorders, are they more common or less common in athletes? There isn't really a lot of research there. There was a recent study that uh, did survey work with athletes and asked them about symptoms related to IBS. And I think the results of that study found about a 10% prevalence among athletes, which is kind of in the range of what you'd expect in the general population, depending on how the study is done. So I I don't think gut disorders are any more common in athletes. I don't think that's real likely. But what is true is, especially for an endurance athletes or others that are training heavily, exercise does put stress on the guts um, and some of these issues and symptoms certainly are more likely when someone is training heavily or engaging in heavy exercise. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the separating point is that athletes have more uh, issues to deal with because they're doing heavier and more prolonged exercise. And that is when the gut can have uh, a bit of trouble because your body only has so many resources to go around during exercise and the gut isn't necessarily the priority. The priority is generally the skeletal muscle and then, you know, also the skin uh, for sweating and to cool you off. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that would be my take on uh, is it more common in athletes? I don't necessarily think so, with the exception that because they're engaging in a lot of heavy exercise, that's when they run into problems more often. I was wondering if, again, like athletes have much more access to different types of intake and fuel and supplements and goos and mm-hmm. gobs and gels. So I was wondering if that, do you think if that has any sort of impact on our gut issues, just what we're using? The types of products. Yeah, are, types yeah. Of products. yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, I think in certain athletes, the over ingestion of certain supplements or products could be contributing to some types of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I try and remind readers of in the book is that the causes of each symptom can vary a lot. So mm-hmm. I try not to overgeneralize about does this cause gut issues. It's, sure. I try and say, is this behavior or is this sort of um, food product likely to trigger this type of symptom um, and more focused on and uh, 
symptom-specific perspective. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I have a great answer to that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that'll help us with our next question. So this is going to be kind of oversimplified, but can you give us like five best things that you can do to help protect your, your gut? What would you list? Yeah. So just general gut health. I mean, I think a lot of these things are pretty similar um, in terms of your overall health in general. So number one would be following a nutrient-dense, high-quality diet uh, that has a substantial amount of uh, fiber. Uh, and that is, to a large extent, going to help um, with some of the basic functioning of your gut, ensure that you're not experiencing um, excessive constipation, and help to promote uh, maybe the health of your, especially your large intestine. Okay. If you're really restricting dietary fiber to a great degree, uh, there's some pretty good evidence that that could have some negative effects on your uh, intestinal health in the long term. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's true of just general cardiovascular health, probably a risk of certain cancers, uh, is making sure to eat adequate amounts of fiber and uh, following a healthful diet. Another thing that is true of improving your general health is maintaining enough sleep. Uh -huh. I don't devote a huge section of the book to yeah. sleep, but we know that people who do shift work, who have odd schedules where they're uh, unable to sleep regularly, or for whatever reason, they have chronic sleep dysfunction, the risk of things like IBS and other gut problems goes up pretty substantially. Um, and there's even experimental studies where they'll bring people uh, into a lab or they'll ask them to restrict sleep for a day or two. And you can mm -hmm. see perceptions of pain and discomfort going up even after a couple of days mm -hmm. uh, when people are sleep deprived. So not that. only just managing like general pain, but gut discomfort, I think an important thing is do the best you can to get adequate sleep uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, another one would be avoiding kind of gut toxic medications in large amounts. Uh, and probably the main one that I would put in that category is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Mm. So your ibuprofen, naproxen, aspirin, mm. uh, you know, taking them once in a while is fine. Um, you know, everybody has a headache once in a while. Some people have more chronic pain issues they have to deal with. But taking large dosages day after day is really toxic for the gut. It's going to increase the risk of things like ulcers, GI bleeds, and even increases the risk of cardiovascular disease um, if you take them over the long term. So that's another one I would definitely, especially for athletes who oftentimes have aches and pains that are um, kind of chronic, be careful mm -hmm. about the amount and frequency of, of NSAID ingestion that you're uh, that you're doing. That's a really good point. Actually, like as a college athlete, and this was a while ago, we were actually encouraged to take an ibuprofen Proactively, yep. yeah. Just yep. to, you know, help with the yeah. pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, they're not only nasty on the gut in, in a number of ways, but they can also potentially interfere with training adaptations mm -hmm, if you're taking mm -hmm. them all the time. Mm -hmm. They can exacerbate asthma and uh, people who have mm -hmm. uh, exercise-induced asthma. So they're, they're not good to be taken in large dosages for long periods of time. So just be careful about mm -hmm. uh, how they're being used. Another big one is stress and anxiety. So I, you know, I mentioned a third of the book <laughs> is kind of devoted towards that. And we consistently see people who are reporting more stress and anxiety in their everyday life are more likely to have uh, gut issues, including things like irritable bowel syndrome and functional dyspepsia. 
But I've, I've even shown this in a couple of studies now that I've done with athletes, that you see a higher report of gut issues during training and competition yeah. among those who are reporting the most stress and anxiety. Sure. There's yeah. a direct highway. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a deep connection between your gut uh, and your brain. So we know they can go both ways, right? You, how you're thinking and how you're feeling can affect your guts, and things happening in your guts can actually affect your brain. So it's a kind of a two-way street. And uh, what I would say is, if you are someone who deals with some of those stress and anxiety issues, trying to come up with some sort of coping mechanism uh, to at least dampen some of those uh, those issues. I mean, it, it's not always reasonable to think that you're going to completely get rid of them. Uh, we live in, you know, a very stressful and anxious world at times. So um, just doing the best you can uh, in trying to get some consistency with things like maybe mindfulness or deep breathing or those types of strategies. Great. So I, how many, uh, did I hit four there, five there? I'm not sure where four. I'm jumping up. Uh, thanks for catch, uh, catching me up on the count there. Maybe the last one I would say is don't chronically undereat if you're an athlete. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Kind of give you that uh, nod to the you know relative energy deficit in sport. It affects a lot of body systems and the gut is included in that. It's almost like if you don't eat enough, your gut forgets what it's supposed to do because mm-hmm. you can have... As an example, slowing of stomach emptying mm-hmm. if you're heavily restricting mm-hmm. energy intake. And especially for like a runner or a cyclist who's trying to fuel during competition, you don't want slowed stomach emptying. Okay? You don't right. want things right. sitting in your gut uh, when you're trying to consume enough fluid and carbohydrate to maintain your performance. So that's just one example of how chronically underfueling can impact uh, the digestive process, among many other things that can happen. So I guess those would be five pretty safe general rules of thumb when it comes to gut function and health. Those are great. Do you have any recommendations or just kind of practical things that you do when an athlete's weighing? Should they use some of these sports formulated products or would it be more convenient? um, Excuse me. It would be more convenient for them to use that versus like a whole food approach. How do you, how do you work with your athletes in that realm? You know, I would say for most of the time, day to day, if you can choose whole foods, that's going to be the preferable route because, you know, foods have an array of nutrients and other phytochemicals and other things in them that if you just focus on sports nutrition products or um, processed products, oftentimes those things are removed and it's not as a complete package. So I would say when possible, uh, try and go with foods from more of a day-to-day basis. That being said, there are situations where selecting a more processed or refined product would be a little bit easier for your body to digest and handle, particularly during heavy exercise. Like, you know, uh, if you're exercising at 75%, 80% of VO2 max, and you're running for one to two hours, you know, eating um, something like uh, a carbohydrate food that you have to chew and and uh, try and swallow down. And that's not always going to be the best approach. <laughs> so I think it comes largely down to athlete preference, experience, and tolerance. Uh, but whole foods, if you don't chew them well enough, one downside is they may sit in your stomach a bit longer if you just mm-hmm. kind of wolf them down without chewing. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, it, it's a hard thing to generalize because there's a lot of individual response to different products and it comes down to kind of that old trial and error recommendation, which I know athletes probably hate, <laughs> but uh, that's probably the best approach. 
That's good. Patrick, you brought a lot of great information today. Um, again, like um, this is a really popular topic. So thank you mm -hmm. for being on. Oh, of course. Thanks for the invitation. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, we love to ask our interviewee how they live out the fit philosophy. So how do you balance performance, health, intellect, and time for self? Man, that's a really hard question right now right. during our times. Yeah. So, I'm surprised our guts aren't all jacked up right now. They probably are. <laughs> Stress, yeah. sleep. They are. <laughs> so how all, have you been figuring it out in general and especially during this time? I mean, I, I think one thing that has helped me, and I, this is just very individual, is just accepting that, I, you know, in certain times you can't do everything well and you have to mm -hmm. just, um, kind of accept that you can't do everything and that can be difficult. Um, and I, when it comes to, you know, my physical activity and diets, um, especially with exercise and trying to remain, uh, remain active, I think one of the things that I have benefited from, not just now, but over the last probably five years of my life, when I, you know, my job makes things more challenging to get into the gym, uh, just uh, with all the responsibilities that you end up having as you get along into your career, is to you know build physical activity into your daily routine so it's not as much of a choice. Um, so like I bike to work very frequently. If I drive, I'll park in a neighborhood where uh, I have to walk maybe a quarter mile to a half a mile. Uh, so doing things like that where it's just kind of a natural part of my routine helps me fit it in. And when I have so many other you know responsibilities, childcare, uh, and those sorts of things. But yeah, it's tough right now. So, mm -hmm. uh, and people are in very different situations. I mean, I'm very fortunate in that I'm still fully employed and uh, other people are struggling with just putting food on the table. So I, it's hard for me to say anything about their situation because it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. And I can attest to uh, having read your book once you get started. Of course, I love the gut anyways, but it's an excellent book. So I hope everybody goes out and gets it. Well, thanks. I appreciate the kind words on that. Uh, Thanks, Patrick. Uh, stay, nice, stay safe nice to get up there. Thanks. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye, Queens. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, Queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, Queens.